So last week, um, if you were here, we were kind of talking about um, what it looks like when God arrives. We're in a, a series on Advent, Advent uh, from the Latin, Adventus, which is uh, from the preposition ad and the verb ven- venio, um, meaning coming or arrival. And so really, Advent is arrival. It's uh, the coming to. It's, the, it's when, you've, when you've gotten there. And last week, we were talking a little bit about what it looks like when God arrives in a place. You see, we typically have, like, we have maybe an idea of what it looks like when God arrives, and typically that's something like, it's it's rainbows and cheery unicorns and fun time. You know, things are bad, things are awful, and then God arrives, and then things get great. God fixes it, takes care of business. And then so we said, well, okay, if, if there's one time when we can look and see what it looks like when God arrives, when his arrival happens, well, surely it's the incarnation. Surely it's the Christmas story. It's when God actually literally arrives. And then what we found is we looked at, 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 at in Matthew, in, in Matthew, primarily Matthew 2, what it looks like when God arrives is it's not like that at all. It's not rainbows and unicorns and happy times. In fact, it's actually kind of bloody. In fact, when God arrives, things that were status quo get flipped upside down. They get changed out. They get topsy-turvy. Now, when we're looking at the status quo, for some folks, the status quo is great. For others, the status quo is bad. But for everyone, the status quo is comfortable. And maybe that's not a good thing, but it's a true thing. It's comfortable. And yet when God arrives, he takes that comfortable status quo, whether it's good or whether it's bad, and he flips it upside down. Things get topsy-turvy. Things get crazy. In fact, things get worse. And and we looked, as, as Matthew talks about some of the prophecies from the Old Testament and Hosea, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, some of the things that, that he brings out. And what's so crazy is how Matthew uh, calls out these prophecies, and these prophecies uh, draw our eyes to the history of Israel, so to some of the places in Israel's history where God arrived. And we see the same thing over and over, that the places where God arrived, things got worse before they got better. When God arrived to, in, the, in, in and through Moses' authority to deliver the people from slavery in Egypt, things got worse before liberty happened. When, when, when Israel was, was recalcitrant, when Israel was, was, was kicking against God and, and he allowed the, ba- the Babylonians to come in and punish and take them off to exile, things got a lot worse before they got any better. When David is anointed king, He's not just installed on the throne. Saul's not super happy about it. Instead, things get worse before David comes and begins a a, a just and good rule. Things get worse before they get better. And and maybe uh, I suggest that there's probably people here who, wherever you're at in life, things look topsy-turvy. They look like they're upside down. Whatever the status quo was, it's been changed. It's been altered. And maybe... I suggested this is a sign that in your life, in some way, maybe the Holy Spirit has been stirred up, and maybe God has arrived. And that should give us some hope, but it also begs a question. If God has arrived, what do we do now? 
And that's kind of the thing I want to look at today. Because actually, if we follow the text and we, we go back to Matthew, we're going to see that Matthew did show us all these, okay, God's arriving, and yeah, it's crazy, and yeah, it's bloody, and yeah, it's rough. Yeah, it's scary. But in and through the story, he gives us one person who knew what to do when God arrived. And I think that if we follow the story of this person, we're going to get a sense for maybe what we're supposed to do. How we're supposed to approach it when God has arrived and shaken things up. There's a lot of text today. Um, you can follow in, in, your, in your Bibles, in the Pew Bibles, or the Bibles that you brought with you. They're going to be on the, the screen up here. But they're also on the back of your note sheet. It's uh, selections from chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Matthew. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the whole darn thing. And if you're still, if you're still awake at the end, I'll be really, really pleased. And if you're not, uh, hopefully the person next to you will just kind of elbow you. Did you know they used to do this? Uh, in, in the, there used to be like a person whose job it was was to like walk down the aisle and like slap people with a stick when they fell asleep. Because sermons used to be really, really boring. Um, and hopefully they're not as, as boring now. But we'll find out. We'll find out. So let's read. Let's read uh, Matthew chapters uh, 1 and 2. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Jesus, Messiah, Jesus. After his mother Mary was betrothed, engaged to Joseph, before they came together, had sex, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just, righteous man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Read, divorce her. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him, uh, and took him to him his wife. And he did not know her, again, it's a little euphemism there, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, skipping down a little bit, we remember in the story, uh, the wise men come from the east, the magi, and they're looking for the new king, and they ask Herod, the old king, hey, where's the new king? And Herod's like, I don't know, but let's find out. Let's see what we can do about that. Um, and, and they go, and they, 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 uh, Herod tells them, look in Bethlehem. They find him. They follow the star. They find him. And then uh, they're, they're uh, given a supernatural revelation that they shouldn't tell Herod. And so um, they leave without telling him. In chapter 2 and verse 13, we pick it up. Now when they, the magi, the kings, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child, his mother, flee to Egypt. Stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When Joseph arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I called my son. And dropping down a little bit, uh, we're finding out that, that things are better in Israel now or maybe. But when Herod, Herod the Great, was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to, uh, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, now take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. So he arose, took the young child and his mother, came into the land of Israel. 
But he finds out that Archelaus, uh, the son of Herod, was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod. And he was afraid to go there. And again, warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. This guy Joseph, kind of the hero of this story, if you think about it. I mean, I know it's about Jesus, yes, and Mary's amazing. But really, I mean, who's the guy here who's making the tough decisions? It's Joseph. Joseph is the one, I mean, all these dreams. He keeps getting these dreams, and he's, he's got to make some choices, make some decisions. Joseph is right there in the middle of it when God arrives. God literally arrives. And now Joseph has to respond. He has to figure out what to do in the midst of that. And then he's got to do it. Now, what's so weird about what Joseph does is that at every point in the story, he does the wrong thing by the standards of his culture. According to the standards of his culture, Joseph does the wrong thing, that's the first thing your note sheets, three times. Three times he does the wrong thing. He starts out thinking about doing the right thing and then messes it up. You remember, he's thinking about doing the right thing. He's thinking about divorcing Mary. I mean, you... Like, I... We get it a little bit. Um, you know, if you find out, imagine you're Joseph. You're engaged. You're getting excited. And she's like, I'm pregnant. Like, oh, phenomenal. And you know what that means. You know where she's been, what she's been doing. And this is crazy, too. Uh, we actually have uh, some, some information from the rabbis. They, they would say things like this. They'd say, if you've got a young couple, and they're engaged, and you lose sight of them, for 20 minutes, they have already had sex. That's how the rabbis think about uh, engaged couples. And, and we, can, we, can, we get that. We understand that, right? And so, so Joseph, he, he's been under a lot of you know, supervision, and Mary has also been under supervision. So if she shows up to him pregnant, that means that she wasn't, it just didn't happen. She planned it. She had some guy that she was absconding with, some guy that she was madly in love with, better than Joseph. And she went, she did what she did. And now she's coming to him and she's like, hey. And Joseph's thinking, mm. I mean, will you, I mean, I, we live in a more maybe inclusive or tolerant culture where it's, it's totally okay. Um, in fact, admirable when a man raises a son that isn't his. It wasn't like that back in the day. In fact, uh, we know um, also from ancient sources that, uh, that a man who, who raised some, guy, some other guy's kid was thought of as weak and effeminate because he didn't have the courage to do the right thing, which is publicly humiliate that girl and send her packing. Imagine if you're living in this culture, and you know, we have a lot more resources now in the, in the 21st century, especially in the first world, where we can handle, it's much easier to handle um, these kinds of, of, of issues, it, it wasn't back then. In fact, it could really wreck a lot of things. And so it was normal in the culture. Not quite law, but you know, it was normal in the culture for when, when some girl shows up pregnant or with a son that's not hers. It was normal. It was good, in fact, to shame her publicly, to get out and denounce her as, let's be honest, a less than reputable woman. We have slang for that, and they did back then too. To ruin her life and ruin the baby's life. It's not like they wanted to ruin, they didn't have any particular animus towards this one girl, but they needed to protect the culture as a whole. They needed to make sure you thought if you could get away with having a child out of wedlock, you wouldn't. You would see what happened to her 
And so you'd think twice before being alone with that charming young man. And so Joseph has the right idea, but he's a just, righteous man, it says in the text. He's a good guy. And so he's not going to publicly humiliate her. He's going he's to put her aside quietly so that maybe she and the, and the boy, the child, will have a chance. But then God shows up. He has this dream. Don't be afraid, the angel says in the dream. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Afraid, one, on the one hand, of don't be afraid that she's cheating on you. She's not. This is a child from the Holy Spirit. But also, Joseph, don't be afraid of what they're going to think of you for the rest of your life. Wherever you go, whatever you do, the people who know your story are going to look at you out of the sides of their eyes and they're going to snicker with their friends and go, there's Joe, the guy who couldn't keep his girl. There's Joe, the guy who didn't have the courage to do the right thing and is now raising her son as his own. That Joe, he's a... And we have all kinds of slang to describe men like that. But don't be afraid, Joseph. Don't be afraid. Instead, I want you to take her as your wife. Instead, this is what God has for you. Instead, do that. That's the first thing. The first thing Joseph does is completely wrong. The first thing he does that's completely out of bounds is he marries Mary. Friends, look, even if he, he gets this dream, right, and he knows that Jesus is, you know, conceived of the Holy Spirit, I mean, he, he really... At the, he has the opportunity to, to get lost, to walk away, to quit. Be like, you know, if, if, imagine, imagine, wow, your, your, your wife-to-be is impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And get out of there, man. You are, in, you are so above your pay grade. You are in waters too deep for you to handle. And Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What you can do now is when people are laughing at you behind your back, you, you get them, you sit them down, you're like, look, man, no, 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 this was a magic pregnancy. Yeah, uh, God he waved his hands and the Holy Spirit came and, and made her pregnant with magic. And so it, it's God's baby. I'm just raising the Son of God. <laughs> oh, Joseph, you're not only weak and effeminate, you're also Looney Tunes, man. Can you imagine? Don't be afraid. That's the first thing he does when he messes up. And he condemns himself to a life of shame and humiliation. Ladies, if you don't think that shame and humiliation is something that motivates men, you either haven't been married or you haven't been paying attention. Now, I'm going to confess to you, I'm going to confess to you, shame is a motivator for me, in fact. Uh, I, this is sad, and I, all right, I'll just, I'll just lay it out for you. I have, I have academic pretensions. Okay, all my life, you know, some people are good at normal practical things, but I've been good at school. And so I've always excelled in school, and I've always loved having the, the, the leader guy, the professor, whatever, think that I'm great. In fact, I've always wanted to earn the, the professor's favor and respect. To me, that means a lot. And I know that anytime you put professors and academics in charge of anything, they run it right into the ground. They're the worst at everything, which is why it's important we have a very strong elder board at this church, because we get, rein them in. And I get all that. I understand it. I know it. And yet, there's something about, and it's not even just any professor. I, I look and I find the ones who are the best at their game, the ones who really are gifted, 
brilliant people, and I, I, wanna, I want them to think I'm great too. And if I don't, then there's something I lose about myself. I, I, I feel like I'm, if, if I think that they're laughing at me behind my back, it really, really hurts. And that drives me. Now imagine you're Joseph, and for the rest of your life, every guy you meet is going to look at you and think, wow, man, she must have a real hold on you. But then Joseph, you know, he, but okay, fine. He's going to deal with the humiliation. That's okay. We can deal with that. That's fine. What's the next thing? What we're going to do is, you know, you know how your life is supposed to go. Your life starts out, you're young, you train, um, and you either get like a, a, a trade or you go to school in our culture and you, and you get some skills and then you, uh, you, you get a great job, you start a career, and then you find your soulmate, the person who always makes you feel great about you all the time, 24-7, and, and their whole life is about making you feel great, and then you marry that person, and then you think, all right, well, let's do about 10 years, 10 years of us having an extended honeymoon, just playing around, having a great time, feeling good. Aaron and I were talking about our greatest uh, vacations last night. Turns out all of them took place before we had kids. Love my kids, though. I mean, they're great. <laughs> and so, and so, so you have your 10 years of awesomeness. Then you're like, well, we should probably procreate. Because it's a long-term investment. If we have great kids, they're going to grow up and be successful, make us feel even better about ourselves. So we've got to do that, do the hard work, roll up the sleeves, raise those kids. They become amazing, and then uh, they support us in our old age, or maybe we've you know, made some great choices and we're wealthy. And then right as we're about to... you know die, the Lord Jesus comes back, um, he raptures us, and so we never even taste death. That's how your, sp- your life is supposed to work, right? That's, that's it. So Joseph's thinking, all right, well, I, I'm going to be humiliated the rest of my life. Okay, fair enough. But hey, maybe I can get this carpentry thing really going, and, and maybe, maybe we can find a way to you know, make this, this work, and it, it, maybe it could be really, really good, Right? And so he, he's going to, you know, put down roots and take advantage of all of his, his connections to family and, and whatnot, and he's going to make a go of it, be like a great guy who really, really runs the show, a, a guy who, who's got it all together. And yeah, he's got that one thing, but maybe if he's successful enough and he has a great experience in life, maybe things could be good. So then he's asleep, and he has a dream. And man, if you're Joseph, I would never go to sleep ever again because every time that guy has a dream, it like ruins his life. So he's asleep, he has a dream, and the angel of the Lord's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? He's like, no! It's like, hey, I have an idea. Here's an idea. Why don't, instead of you putting down roots, really getting that carpentry thing going, here's an idea. Go to a ghetto in Egypt. Um, what do you think? Now, it doesn't say in the text, doesn't say in the text, but we, we I think it's a fair assumption to think that uh, Joseph and Mary probably went to Alexandria, Egypt, which at the time had the largest um, collection of, of, of Jewish immigrants uh, in, in, in Egypt. In fact, of the five districts that made up the city of Alexandria, two were populated by Jews. Um, now, some of these Jews rose to prominence, but a, a very small minority. In fact, one of them, Philo, I talk about him from time to time. He was uh, earlier than Jesus, but he was a prominent Jew that lived in Alexandria. So there were some people who rose to the top, but those people probably weren't carpenters. And those people probably had family and connections. See, they didn't have LinkedIn in the first century or, or, or thereabouts. They didn't have social media. You couldn't just call up the guy's former boss and be like, how was he as, 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 a, as, a, as an employee? 
What, what did you think? I mean, where were strengths and weaknesses? That didn't happen in the ancient world. It was all about who you knew. And so by, by taking up roots and heading out to Alexandria, they're starting all over. And they're hoping that they can insert themselves into whatever Jewish population is there and have, and I guess, develop connections. Uh, and, and, and maybe, maybe that could be something that, that, that could create. But boy, is that what you had in mind when you decided to marry this girl? Is that where you thought you'd end up? And are you starting to have a few regrets? The next mistake that Joseph makes is he flees to Egypt. If you're going to flee anywhere, Joseph, flee this girl and her kid. He's not yours. God can figure it out. Do the right thing, man. Think about your life. God came in and he shook things up and he turned everything up topsy-turvy. Well, here's an idea. Put it back together. You're a man. You can do it. Go do something for you. Instead, he heads off to Egypt, takes the girl and her boy, does the right thing, I guess. And he's there. And he hears that Herod, who's trying to kill him, that's another one. Joseph, find, find a wife who won't cause you to be like a wanted man. Like, so that people will stop trying to kill you. I mean, did, seriously, of all the girls in the world, right? Uh, there are those who have been magically impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and there's every other fish in the sea. And you're here. Well, he goes to Egypt, he does his thing. We think he's there probably maybe two uh, to three years. It's difficult, the, the dating on this. Um, interestingly, we, we, we have from Josephus, who was a, uh, a Jewish scholar who, who talked a little bit about the life of Herod the Great. And Josephus tells us that there was a, uh, a lunar eclipse. And like right before Passover, after this lunar eclipse, uh, Herod the Great um, dies. And uh, so we, we think that happened probably right about 4 BC. So if you're looking to date, you know, Jesus birth, um, and you're trying to, it, it, it's a little bit, the, 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 sand, the, the fog of time is murky, but that's probably um, fairly accurate. Uh, there's another, there's an eclipse that happened in 1 BC and one that happened in like 6 BC, so it, those are like the three basic dates where we think probably is right around the time of this happening. Um, but so Jesus and his family, they've been there for a couple of years, they hear that Herod the Great is dead, and so now it's time to, to pick up again. Joseph's sitting there. He's got the carpentry business going. Things are working out okay, good, not great. And he's like, ugh. Okay, back to Israel. All right, let's do this. Okay, fine. So he's, but here's the thing, though. He's been in Alexandria for a while. He, uh, he's made some connections with people. And we know that Alexandria and, uh, and Jerusalem were, um, had so, quite a bit of Congress, uh, so that there were a lot of uh, refugees and immigrants that went back and forth. And so... He's probably known some people here in Alexandria. He's probably got some connections in Jerusalem. And so he's thinking, I have an idea. Why don't I, you know, cash in on some of these relationships? And so I'll head back to Israel, which is great. You know, bring the family back. You know, just as the prophet, you know, out of Egypt, I had called my son. But, but this time, this time we'll, we'll maybe kind of set up, set up shop in such a way that, you know, we can be successful and we can do things, you know, we can, I, I can finally live it out and do the right thing. And, you know, for me, finally it's going to happen. You notice in the text, I mean, he's, he's like, he's headed um, to the north. He comes into the land of Israel, 
Um, he's in Judea, which I think is probably means he's, he's going to go to Jerusalem. Um, and then he, he hears that it's not Herod who's in charge anymore, but Archelaus, Herod's son. Archelaus, it turns out, is even worse than his dad uh, in terms of being a cruel, vicious um, ruler. He lasts from, uh, we think, 4 BC, uh, 4 BC to 6 AD, at which point the Jews are so fed up with him that they um, beg Augustus to, to get rid of him. So Augustus takes him out and uh, puts uh, his brother in charge. So Archelaus is such a vicious guy that Joseph's thinking, oh, I wonder if he, if he finds out that there's a new king in Israel. You know, he might, he might try and kill me too. <sighs> so Joseph does what he always does in these situations, and he goes to sleep. And in the midst of that sleep, he is, quote, warned in a dream by God. <laughs> and he turns aside to Galilee, and he's like, okay, yes, excellent. Can't go to Jerusalem, can't be in a, in a situation where I've got some contacts and some help. Instead, I know we'll head up to Galilee. We'll end up in the town of Nazareth, which at the time was probably between 500 and 2,000 people, where he's going to develop that huge business he'd always dreamed of and leave a sizable inheritance for his kids and maybe Mary's boy too. Now you have to wonder at some point, what is driving this guy? Joseph, what? I mean, that's the third thing he does wrong, right? He goes to Nazareth. He, he, he settles in Nazareth. Like, Joseph, <laughs> here's the deal, man. When you're on your way, just wake up a little early one day. Actually, don't wake up at all. Don't go to sleep. Something bad will happen. Instead, instead uh, uh, while the rest of the family's asleep, just take off, man. Give up. Run away. You don't need this. Do something for you for once. Are you mad, Joseph? Why are you still doing all this stuff? The people laugh at you. You have nothing to show for your career. And, and all because of somebody, a kid that's not even yours, man. What are you thinking? Joseph, what is it that makes it so that when God comes in, when God arrives and shakes up your life and messes everything up, then instead of saying, you know what, God, thanks but no thanks, I'm going to do my thing. What is it that makes it that, so that you're willing to keep going with God? This is in chapter 1 again. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to divorce her quietly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Pay attention, Joseph. She will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph makes these terrible choices because he believes that the good of God's future is worth the troubles of his present. The good of God's future is worth the troubles of his present. Joseph, this boy 
will save his people from their sins. Now, we, maybe it's hard. I mean, we, we kind of we get it. We know that, that Jesus saved us from our sins. We know that. Notice his people. What Jesus is going to do is he is going to save Israel specifically. This is interesting. Israel specifically from their sins. The, the idea of Israel, when, when, when God kind of got the Israel thing going, was that God was going to bless Israel and make Israel his special people, his special possession. And Israel was going to live life according to God's ways. Perfectly. They were going to be God's special people. And they were going to live in such a way, and God was going to bless them in such a way, that the whole world, all the nations would look and say, they've got it figured out. Their God must be real. And people would travel, and they would come to Israel, and they would say, Yahweh God is true God. Israel's blessing, Israel's holiness, was going to bring the whole world to know its maker, and to worship and love the maker, the true one, not the fake gods, but the real one. And yet, Israel can't do it, because every time Israel's on the path, Israel goes wacky. They go off the path. They, they find that they're unable to keep the law. They're unable to, to hold God first in their hearts. They're unable to trust him and live before him. And over and over and over again, they, they go... And what they need is they need somebody who can do it for them. They need somebody who can be exactly what God needed them always to be. Someone who can be holy and live according to his ways. Someone who can magnify him and glorify him and draw all the world to see him. That is what they need. They need to be saved from all these sins that they've had so they can finally be who they were called to be. And Joseph, Mary's boy is it. Mary's boy is going to be the one who can do all that. But here's the thing. While he's here, he's going to need a dad. You think maybe you could do that for me? You think maybe you could step in? I know I'm asking a lot. I know it's going to cost you a ton. I know it's going to be really, really, really hard when all those people whose respect that you want, you don't get. When the dreams that you had for your family and your business are shot, when you're constantly moving from this place to that place, I know I'm asking a ton of you, but if you can see what's headed in the future, if you can see what I have for you and for the world, I'm asking you to go for it, to walk with me, to not quit with me. And Joseph woke up from that first dream. He said, yeah, I can be the boy's dad. I can do it come what may. I will. I've trusted you this far, God. I'm going to trust you the rest of the way. Friends, I, I don't know what you carry with you into this place, into this Christmas season, Advent. I don't know if you come in and God has arrived in your life and shaken things up. But if he has... If God has come, and, and you believe it, you say, all right, all right, Tom, fine. Yes, I trust you. Yes, I, this, this craziness that's going on, this upside-down, topsy-turviness, this really is the, the, the advent, the coming, the arrival of God into my experience, into this church, into, into my family. Fine. What, what, what am I supposed to do? It, maybe it's, you know, it could be your marriage, right? Uh, marriage is, is hard. I mean, for most of you. Aaron and I, we have a perfect marriage. Um, really easy. It's like it's it's fun and games all the time. Uh, these these arguments that you talk about. What? Why? 
I mean, once you've you know, got your soulmate, I mean, it should be easy, smooth sailing, right? Oh, wait. Uh, maybe it's your finances. Okay, I get it. I've been there too. Um, and, and, and you're like, <laughs> it's your kids. You're worried about you know, how you're raising them, whether or not they're going to turn out right. It's, you know, some of us are, are headed into you know, your coasters now. <laughs> and you're like, uh-oh, I don't like where this life is going. <laughs> this, might, this might end at some point. And you're thinking about what, 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 what does it mean? What, how do I, how do I, what if, what if you had a clear vision of God's good future? A clear vision of what your marriage, um, your health, your finances, what it even is to be an amazing coaster in this place where you could see what it would be like to have life, health, you know, a robust sense of what God is doing. You can see that God is calling you to that thing and yet, You've got all of these troubles in between the two of that and this. If we could see it like that, if we could understand that, and we could start to really, really, truly believe that that future is good, it is glorious, it really is everything that God has for us, it might make it worth it to battle through the troubles of the present day. It might make it worth it to suffer and to sacrifice because that good thing truly is good, truly is from a good God that we could actually be participating with God as he creates beautiful and amazing things out of what is muddy and bloody and rough right now. Joseph, Joe, get rid of that girl, man. Joe, you know, take care of yourself, buddy. You need to... And then God says, Joe... While he's here, that kid's going to need a dad. Can you do it? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for Joseph's example. We thank you for your arrivals as challenging and as frightening and as scary as they can sometimes be. God, as we celebrate the big arrival, the coming of your son. I pray that we will notice and recognize that things do get worse before they get better, that when you shake things up, you are shaking them up, and it is going to be tough, but you're shaking them up because you have a good future. God, I pray that you will inspire in our hearts and our eyes visions of what your good future is for this congregation, for our families, for our individual lives. And in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the challenges, we will seize your good future, be caught up in its vision, and be willing to follow you and walk with you as you lead us towards it. Bless these people and bless this church. In the name of Jesus, whose arrival we celebrate, we pray. Amen.